From the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. This week we're sharing a Q&A from opening weekend of I Called Him Morgan, Casper Collins' documentary portrait of famed jazz musician Lee Morgan. After that, we'll go to a special conversation with legendary French actor Jean-Pierre Liot, who joined director Albert Serra at the 54th New York Film Festival for the premiere of The Death of Louis XIV. I Called Him Morgan concerns the tragic and mysterious relationship between jazz saxophonist Lee Morgan and his wife Helen Morgan, who shot and killed the musician outside a Manhattan nightclub in 1972. For our Q&A on opening weekend, director Casper Collin joined film subjects and musicians Larry Ridley and Dylan Harper to discuss Morgan's legacy and the making of the film. I Called Him Morgan is now playing here at the Film Society. Let's go now to the Q&A. Immediately following that, we'll go to our talk with Albert Serra and Jean-Pierre Leo after the press screening of The Death of Louis XIV at the 54th New York Film Festival. Hello all. My name is Ashley Kahn. I am a jazz author and music writer, music journalist, and I've been uh, bestowed the honor of moderating this post-film uh, discussion today. Thank you all for being here, being here and bringing your spirit and attention. And uh, I want to call Larry Ridley and Billy Harper to the stage as well. Oh, okay. When you can. Okay. And of course, we have with us on stage the gentleman who in one amazing creative gesture has validated our love for this music, our passion for Lee Morgan, and with such respect handled an incredibly tragic love story, Casper Collins. And Billy, thank you for all the sharing you did too in the film. And um, I gotta get myself a black leather jacket, like, like you had. You made that work. All right. You still got it? Uh, I think it's a little old now. <laughs> um, I, I just wanted to kick off by saying that, you know, we are very fortunate to be in an era right now uh, where uh, some really great, great films are coming out, uh, especially documentaries on this uh, music that we love so much, jazz. And it's um, uh, sort of generates two questions just to kick off the conversation. Um, why now? Why do you think that uh, we're suddenly able to see such great documentaries on jazz? And why is it that it's always documentaries more so than the dramatic uh, films that have come out on on jazz? To me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to? I can't. You know, for me... It's hard for me to, to like uh, answer it generally because you know I'm so into my own projects. My previous one was about Albert Eiler. It took me seven years, and I thought, no, n- not again, you know. <laughs> and then, then it was this project was I think six, six years. Uh, so uh, and then, then I'm kind of devoted to my own projects, and uh, it's maybe that there's a lot of good stuff coming out now. But I think we all of us have kind of been 
working on them for a long time, you know. So it, it's it's why it's just happening now. It, it's hard to say, but making documentaries, at least uh, my own experience, uh, it's quite a journey uh, to to do that. Uh, so I, I I can can mainly just talk about my own work. In a way. <laughs> well, why don't we actually go to that then? Uh, what was the inspiration here? What was the first step, the seed of the mm -hmm. idea that uh, started six years ago when you said, okay, this is going to be my next project? Exactly. I mean, and that's also, I mean, you, you don't know from the beginning that this is really going to happen because I was actually reluctant after my previous film that took me. Here we have Larry Ridley. Welcome, Larry. To do another jazz project, I, I, I mean, that was taking place in the same era in the 50s, 60s, early 70s. But uh, so I worked on a few other projects, uh, being a filmmaker, not related to jazz. And then uh, I think it's seven or eight years ago, actually, now that I was. I'm a, I'm a huge music fan, so so it's always there for me the music. But I was watching uh, YouTube, and uh, it was this clip that you can see in the end of the film with uh, Lee playing with Art Blake and the Jazz Messengers. They were playing uh, this tune called That There, Bobby Timmons classic tune uh, and it's from Japan in 1961 in Tokyo and it was just the solo there <laughs> because I, I, I had never really heard anyone play like that trumpet before <laughs> so I know about Lee Morgan but I hadn't really been listening to him or I must have missed him because but this was this this got me <laughs> bam <laughs> uh, so I kept kept listening to this on repeat for like a week or so and couldn't get it out of my system in a way, so then I felt that maybe there is a film here, uh, and, and I, I started to discover this man's music. I mean, Search for New Land, and me coming from a little bit more of an experimental or avant-garde side of jazz into this. Then I realized when I heard that solo that th we had this searching young artist here that that really had that talent. Uh, and, and that was for me amazing. And so that was the start, that clip. And I wanted to keep that in the end of the film <laughs> because it's so powerful for me. And to really s end with like a long passage of, of that amazing performance, I think that was important for me. Even if there's a also story told in the film. And that was also um, tried in the editing to really give space. And I fight it with my editors. I'm an editor myself a little bit, but can you hold the yes, you can you hear me now? Can you hear me better? <laughs> Sorry, I mean a filmmaker. I should know that you need to you need to speak in the mic. But uh, I heard what I said myself. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you miss everything? I hope not. A little bit. Oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, no, then you missed it. Now, but I just want to say that it was important for me to when we made this film to really give space in it to to for the music. So, so that uh, people can experience the, the power and beauty in this music in, in the film. And I hope if you see it in the cinema, when you cr can crank up the volume, that, that you have a chance to, to feel the, the music. <laughs> that was important for me. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, and, and to have it be YouTube, uh, a YouTube moment inspiring you to go all the way back to, you know, pre-internet, pre-technology, pre-digital. Um, there's a there's a kind of poetry there, I think, and absolutely the generosity that you uh, uh, extended as far as the music goes. You can really feel how the music itself becomes a character within this this film. Um, 
I'd like to turn the attention to Billy and, and Larry because obviously not only is this a memory that you guys have carried with you since 1972, um, but were you expecting at some point for a filmmaker to come along and say, I want to do something on Lee and we're going to have to talk about no. slugs? <laughs> no, I didn't expect it at all, no. It's, uh, <clears throat> it, is, it is a kind of story that you can uh, put together and, and really have it be interesting. This, is, this was done very well. I have to, let's give him a hand, man. He did very well. I, I, I keep, uh, I mean, the way you use the music was just great. And, and uh, when I first thought of the idea that you used Helen, Helen's voice through this, I thought, no, <laughs> don't do that. But that's the best, that was very good. I mean, that, that, that made it work. That made it work. I was really angry. Uh, uh, Paul said he was angry. I, I was angry, and I guess I stayed angry for long, much longer. <laughs> I didn't get over it, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, to have her talk. I mean, she wasn't she wasn't saying uh, uh, anything that tried to make her sound right or wrong or anything. She just told the story, which was great. And and uh, yeah, yeah, all the guys. I think most of the fellows around around Lee were sort of angry, well, definitely angry. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was hard with me because I was, I was right there when it, when it happened. And I, I just, I didn't, I didn't even know that he, he, he was really shot because he was standing up for a while. He stood longer, you know, and then I thought, well, he's okay. And then he fell, but, and then, you know, Helen was just uh, seeming like she she wasn't there. She didn't do that. She didn't know what was happening. Uh, it's one of those things that you know. I guess it happens in life, and you just don't you you can't figure out what to say about it, what to do about it, how to feel about it. I know I didn't I didn't I didn't like any any of it, of course, but. Uh, uh, she did tell her story well, and and it made sense as to how you uh, put the scene together with the music and the uh, the shots. Very good. I liked it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to see it again too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I just wanted because we have uh, if you're talking about that that recording with Helen's voice, we we have Larry Randy Thomas here, who made that recording, who who, who found Helen. So that's that's remarkable. I mean, it's story in itself. So I just want to acknowledge that he is here. It's important. Yeah, yeah and and I'm, I'd I'd have to give you kudos too for doing it because I my first idea a long time ago is I'm not going to talk to Helen. <laughs> I'm not going to say a word to her. It's good that you did it. Very good. Larry. Well, after everything happened that night. I was on my way to Slugs, and as I stepped out, it was starting to snow. And I said, you know, because we, I said, well, I, I don't know whether I want to, I want to go down, but I don't want to get stuck uh, and uh, not be able to get back, you know, or go through a lot of changes in terms of getting back home. So I turned around and went back in, in the house, and 
uh, just said, well, I, I wanted to see the cats, you know. Because we always hung out at Slugs, right? You know, there was a place that even when we weren't working there, we would hang out, you know, because everybody would show up, you know, it was like a sort of like a meeting place that we'd all come in, everybody would be talking SHI, you know. <laughs> and just having a good time, you know. It was that kind of camaraderie that we had. And Slugs was just, the, the environment in there was just so nice, it, you know, it, it lent itself to just be in a place like it was uh, a place where we could all hang out and just talk and have a good time. And so I said, well, you know, I don't want to get stuck. And uh, so I said, well, I'll go back in. And, and then when I found out the next morning, I don't remember exactly when I found out, but it was early that, that next morning, you know, that uh, I was called and told what it had gone down. And it really hurt me to my heart, you know, because I knew both of them. And Helen was just, she was a beautiful person, beautiful person. And she, she really looked out for him. And when he was just really down and out, she lifted him up. And she, and she really loved him. And after she got out of, uh, out of prison and she came and she, we were in the middle of the club and we spotted each other. And as she, and I said, you know, I had all been saying, ah, I'm gonna bring you know. And as she got closer and she hesitated. And then when she finally came closer, we both just melted and she grabbed me and just hugged me and just was squeezing me, you know. and. Tears were running down my eyes as well as hers, you know. And she was saying just, Larry, you know how much I love Lee. And I didn't mean to do that. It, uh, it was something that I really regret. And she was a good human being, you know. And she really had done a lot for him. But, you know, what can you say? You know, it's, it's, it was something that happened. And... Uh, I used to run into her occasionally after that when she, uh, she moved down to North Carolina. I would check her out and see how she was doing or I'd keep in touch with her just to find out what was happening. But it was interesting how all that anger that I had, had pent up for so long, you know, just melted. And uh, How did you feel when Casper uh, approached you about the film project? Were you ready to share this at that point? Yeah, well, Casper, he's a cool dude, you know. <laughs> you know, and and he's 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 a straight shooter, you know. I never got a funny vibe from Casper, you know. And when he talked with me, I mean, you've heard his voice, you know. He's got a very uh, compassionate voice there, and uh, you just recognize that this guy's cool. He's straight ahead. And then when he talked with me and told me what he had in mind and asked me if I would participate. I said, of course, you know, that goes without saying. And I applaud Casper, you know, I've told you a thousand times and I'll continue to thousands of times again for the wonderful job that you did and the way you captured Lee and Helen. You know, that, that's very important because the film gives me the feeling of seeing who these two individuals were and uh, you you did it man you did it <laughs> thank you okay yeah. 
can I say? <laughs> you know, I think one, one of the great things about this event here um, is that I see many jazz musicians, jazz supporters, jazz fans. Hey, Dave. Hey, Ben. You know, uh, all out here. And that feeling of a family, of that community that was such a part of the 1960s New York and continues to be to this day, you really captured that in an incredible way. And it's such a, a, a great lens through which to see this story, to understand that everybody was affected in a, in a, in a very tragic way by these events in 1972. And um, uh, was that something you had planned on doing? Were you aware of that or did it just sort of unfold? I need to step back a little bit then. No, I, I didn't plan on that at all because I, I, I started with this passion for this music. I mean, I had the, the jazz and the music love for many years since before this. You know, I've been listening to, to, to jazz. has been very important for me, like 25, 30 years now in my life. So I'm 44 now, so you have to count yourself. But uh, from being in love with Lee's music and, and, and this idea about is there a film there, I, I started to talk. I mean, you do a research first to see is this possible? at all. I mean, you see, is there archive material? How many people are alive? Uh, things like that, that you deal with. Uh, and starting to talk with, with people like you, others as well. Uh, I, I realized then, because you, you started to talk about the last four years in Lee's life, most people did, and, and the years that he had spent with a woman named Helen. And I would say that by that time, I only know that Lee was shot by a woman, and and I'm a music lover, and and I think it goes for most of people like me that they didn't know too much about her. Uh, that was a woman that shot him. Who she was? No, she was the murderer of Lee. Uh, but then people started to talk about the relationship that Lee had had with a woman that had also had helped him, uh, and kind of saved him from from this addiction. I didn't know at all about that. That addiction that it seemed that those people I talked with, they were kind of helpless themselves that because they couldn't really, didn't know what to do to help him. But this woman stepped in and, and did that. And, and they talked very passionately about her because of that. And then I understood this is the same woman that actually shot him. And it was kind of, okay, more like a Shakespearean, almost Greek mm. tragedy kind of story there suddenly. So me coming from the music side, and then we have this story and this project navigated towards those last four years in a way uh, and those I mean the double feelings you all share around this I mean uh, the feeling that that night you didn't just lose one friend you lost two friends in a way and it must be great confusion I mean what happened really uh, that I think touched me in a way and, and it was unavoidable that the project <laughs> should navigate towards what it is today even if it was a long many hours in the editing <laughs> to get it together, of course. And, and also, it was very important for me as also being the producer for this project to make sure that we had enough time in the editing. So we edited this film over a three year period, which is quite long for a documentary. It was like one year totally, but we spread it out over three years. And just to know that you have a chance to start and then you go out and do complimentary shooting. Uh, and for, like, Wayne is in the film, and he, because most of you guys, you wanted to be in the film, that was not a problem, so, 
And then I, I wanted to have Wayne in the film because I know about him and, and uh, Lee's relationship in, in our Blake and the Ass Messengers and so on. And then I know how close they were. But he, <laughs> it was difficult. So I think I waited for four years <laughs> to, for him to participate in this oh. film. <laughs> so, so, so those are just things that happens when you make this. So we tried to make the film without him and, and kind of edited rough version. Uh, and that was nice when he actually participated. One thing that happened then was that in a kind of unforced way he talks about Lee as an artist being on the same level as himself. I mean, we're talking about those early years in Lee's life. And that was very generous of him. I think that was very important f for how the film went in the end. So he was very important to have there. Yeah. yeah. And and I realized that when we started editing the film with him in there, that, that, that helped this film immensely. Guys, please join me in thanking Larry and, and Billy and Casper. And thank you all for being here. Hey there, this is Eugene Hernandez, Deputy Director here at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Thank you for listening to our podcast, The Close-Up. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to get new episodes delivered to you every week. You can also rate and review the show on iTunes, which will help us reach more cinephiles like you all around the world and help us make this podcast even better. Thanks again for listening, and now back to our show. Um, Albert, uh, what was your uh, beginning point for this project? Well, at the beginning, um, the film, it shouldn't be a film. In fact, it was a commission of the Pompidou Museum to do it as a performance inside the museum. Uh, it was a long story four years ago, and Jean-Pierre should already uh, performed the Louis XIV inside the cage, the crystal cage hanging on the main room of the museum. Well, this, uh, there was a, a lot of budget problems because it was very expensive. And uh, then, okay, we forget a little bit. It was canceled at the end. We forget a little bit, a little bit during some years. And then we decide to keep on, but in a more classical format. It's a feature film. Uh, but keeping a little bit these original roots uh, of you know, unity of space, time, action, you know, to really focus on the on the last 15 days and to really uh, live no, in present time these iconic no, moments of the past mm -hmm. not just to you know make a, a cliche about I don't know political subject or about uh, the issues around the king inside the court uh, but not to really live in a little bit performatic uh, performance no, way in present time uh, these, these moments to make the past really lively uh, no, what is not so often in cinema because when you deal with period films, usually we have so many ideas already in our minds or so many cliches or not cliches, just ideas of what happened and how it happened that no, often uh, we, are, we have to respect in some sense for the past or for our knowledge about the past and then you know, it lacks a little bit this lively, no, uh, you know, this lively feeling. And here, well, this, it helped a little bit to have this unity of time, space, action, to, to really be, be able, and the way we should, 
uh, with always three cameras, you know, making variations on the scenes, always, you know, um, trying to stop the minimum possible, you know, only for the change of life, slightly change of costume, mm, but to really, you know, live this death or this agony, you know, in, in a similar way that uh, it should have uh, happened in the past. So for Jean-Pierre, my question is, is this, this is for you as an actor more a matter of living this experience um, than, uh, what's the dividing line between living the experience and acting? Quelle est la ligne qui divise entre vivre cette experience ou jouer cette experience? Où est la, la, ligne, la séparation La séparation. Il n'y a pas de séparation précisément dans, film de, dans ce film-là précisément. There is no uh, line or separation in this film. À partir du moment où Albert Serra m'a demandé de jouer la mort de Louis XIV, <coughs> en, euh, avec un dispositif qui me euh, filmait pendant euh, un mois avec trois euh, caméras simultanément. <coughs> à l'intérieur de ce dispositif, j'étais pris moi-même, personnellement, au piège de ma propre mort en jouant celle de Louis XIV, <coughs> ce qui illustre la phrase de Jean Cocteau que le cinéma est le seul art qui intime la mort au travail. Et effectivement, c'est ma propre mort qui était en train de filmer Albert Serra pendant que je jouais celle de Louis XIV. Maintenant, maintenant ce que je peux ajouter, c'est que ce genre d'expérience est une expérience dont on ne sort pas exactement intact et que je suis très différent dans mes rapports à ma propre vie et à ma propre mort après une expérience pareille. From the moment that uh, Albert Serra asked me to um, act in this film, and that I was in a position where we, I was being filmed with three cameras uh, in a, uh, one, a particular one location. Um, I became trapped within an experience that almost simultaneously was the experience of my own death. And it illustrates the quote from Jean Cocteau, Le cinéma est le seul art. The uh, cinema is the only art that can film, that can capture death at work. So in uh, Sarah's shoot, it was my own death that was being filmed while I was interpreting Louis XIV's death. Et très personnel et très intime que l'on peut voir vivre sur l'écran aujourd'hui et que ça me. Voilà. Je ne vois pas un autre acteur pouvant aller aussi profondément dans la ressemblance, dans les intensités de la représentation de sa propre mort que moi dans le film de cela. C'est une expérience très unique, intime et personnelle. 
uh, to do this film to be filmed in such a way, and I can't imagine of another actor that could go to the extent to go to such depth in interpreting uh, a character and this and the death of Louis XIV as I did. Je pense que c'est bien ça que vous avez vu. I, I believe that that's what you saw. <laughs> because the way you know Jean Pierre work at, at that moment. You know, it was interesting because it was parallel to what I said before, of trying to leave the thing in present because of his innocence, you know. Because, uh, you know, even if he, uh, you know, knew a lot about Louis XIV and he was really interested in the character, at the end there is some kind of innocence inside him that makes this alive, you know? that makes this not a representation, even if in the film there is a lot of representation because he's in front of the court and... You know, the film is about that, about how do you deal with death in intimacy, in real intimacy, but also in front of other people, you know, uh, where how, how this experience change or, you know, it's not exactly the same. But uh, I love the, the way he, you know, he escaped cliché, but, but totally naturally, in a way that, I don't know, for me it was also a surprise because, you know, it, it appeared a little bit by luck. And I think it's due to this to this total innocence, total absence of, I don't know, of really feeling things in that moment, and that's all. A few questions from the audience. Jim. Thank you, and thank you for a beautiful film. I'd like to, you to talk about the crafting of the film, how the, the cameras were used, how the lighting was set, how long, it, how many times you t took a scene? Did you repeat it? It, it? I have no sense of that because it all was in the moment for me so, so beautifully. So how did you do that? Okay, well, um, one of the main points I had uh, in my mind at the beginning, apart from, you know, from the practical point of view, was to really be able to shoot in some kind of continuity. Obviously there is some changing of light and some changing of costumes and new characters appear, you know, different actions. But with the main idea that, you know, we were, we were really in a close-up of the king, and the, the, the things could be interchangeable. The scenes, the moments, everything, you know, could be used afterwards in the edit uh, in a very free way. And in fact, in the, well, in the last 45 minutes of the film, it's a little bit that, you know, because uh, you see some shot, then there is another shot, but there is new people, and you don't know exactly if the last the other people disappear because there is some ambiguous continuity on the sound. So there is a little bit, uh, uh, how to say it, uh, a flu uh, in English, uh, a flu. Une uh, grippe? No, flu. Français, flu, flu. Oh, uh, fuzzy, fuzzy. Fuzzy, no, on, on time. So this, is, this was one of the, and for this reason I we decided to put some obviously fixed light with the slight changes or changes that should be done as fast as possible in order not to lose this continuity and this spirit on because you know it's, it's quite fragile to, to get always you know moving moments from the, from the face or you know it's not so easy I mean it's, it happens suddenly and then it disappears so to keep a little bit this beautiful moment, these movements that are really small because, you know, just some way he, 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 he look at the people, the way he says some small sentence. Or, so the idea was to, to, to try to, to put it as longer as possible and the continuity on the shooting with the three cameras all the time and almost not repeating the same things. We repeat it, but always with variations, coming back to previous scenes without the stop, really to live in this, uh, you know, 
I don't know, in this non-stop, um, the never-ending, uh, you know, a little bit confusing, you know, last days of, of his life. And it corresponds a little bit in the last part of the film to the, the way maybe an, uh, somebody that is going to die, that it's already very ill, you know, perceived time. You know, this is quite important on the film, in, in the second part, the way we... Uh, that it should be smooth because it's very repetitive. So if the rhythm and the way we change, you know, the the actors and the action in the second part, because you know all the repetitions and water and more water and whatever, no? it's it's full of repetitions. So if the edit or if the, of this of this change of uh, or the use of the time at that moment was not very smooth, it could be very boring in some sense. And we were a little bit surprised to reach a point that the film is quite repetitive at the end, but not boring. And people enjoy it, so for, we were happy of that because we really, you know, uh, delivered the film to Cannes Film Festival the last days, and we couldn't, we didn't know what to expect, and we couldn't even check it with other people, you know, watching the film, or it was just a very intense work. But the, the idea was to work on total continuity, as if it was a performance, as the original. Okay, with the lights it's difficult because, and with the light because it's not it's not so easy to prepare light for three cameras. You know, for the reason people do not want to shoot with three cameras because for two it's already difficult. But imagine for three. But then I always gave a lot of freedom to cameraman to try to find their best position. We communicate by scenes in a very you know fast way, and then okay, uh, they try to to, to find a way to, to to find a good angle for for each camera. What is I said not always possible. Thank you. Uh, for Mr. Leo, merely I'm in awe of your performance and I'm grateful for both this and your body of work entirely. Uh, for Mr. Sarah, uh, just a, a question. With, uh, with Birdsong, when you were working with sort of a mythological, apocryphal, uh, not, I don't want to use the word history with it, but with, with something that people are generally aware of but it's, there's not exacting details. And then with Story of My Death, when you had sort of a fusion of the fictional and the fantastic and, you know, historical persons. With this film, with there being such a preserved historical record of the final days of Louis XIV, um, was, that, was that liberating or binding compared to, to your previous two films? It was not liberating because, I don't know, because I, I always knew that the, the magic of the film will be him, you know, I mean, it was, I, was, I didn't feel, uh, I, I feel responsible in, in the way that, you know, the director is responsible for the performance of the actor, but in some sense, I, I knew that these things were not so important, if it was more historically faithful or not, or even some, I knew that the film, the film will be beautiful at the plastic level and all these things, and it was quite well done on the decor, I was there, and really I wanted an organic decor that you really feel that the, that the king is there on the bed, lying on the bed, and he really appropriates the space. You know, all this organic approach, for me, I think it was easy to get. Well, not easy, but it's difficult because it was a low-budget film, and for the decor, for the light, it's not so easy, but okay. But then the, ma the magic, the final touch, it's, uh, you know, it's him who, who puts that on the screen. So, I don't know. I think it's part of this season. May maybe the there is also what he said a little bit, because I always work, I am not always focused on the character, you know. I am always focused when I work with actors in the person, also in the actor, you know, that is the person feeling or being filmed with the conscious that he's filmed, and then the character. Okay, the character is important, it's what we see on the screen, but when you play a little bit with the, with the actor and the person, and we try to, I don't know, and you, 
when you deal with that in a because for me it was very important, you know, the relation with Jean-Pierre that was, you know, based on friendship, but in a very natural way. We didn't know a lot. We met, I don't know, maybe five times before or six or seven, but it was not. So for me, the, the, the way, you know, that from the human point of view, we, we you know, we work. For, for me, I think, and something of that is on, on the film also. I don't know in which way, but I, it was my obsession to, to put some... I don't know, some density no? on, the, on the way he, he performs. And I think that at the end, he reached this beautiful point. It's difficult because, you know, it's, it's about uh, also this idea of shooting non-stop, a lot of days, and slowly and gradually, you know, selecting the good things, the things you really love. Of, uh, I, in fact, my methodology was a little bit based always in non-communication. Non-communication with actors, non-communication with technicians. So yeah, I'm a little bit an spectator of my own film during the shooting. But as the amount, you know, it's like a magma, you know, the amount of the, this methodology, you know, it's so, so big at the end and it's so powerful that you have to, with the edit, you know, really being critically, you know, minded in the edit. And if these beautiful things are in the material, you will find it. À propos de ce que je viens de parler, c'est rare. Ce que vous voyez du montage, ce que vous voyez sur l'écran, c'est ce qu'il reste de tout ce qui, le texte que j'avais à dire, tiré des moments de la mort de Louis XIV par Saint-Simon, qui ont été au montage complètement évacué et il ne reste plus que l'intensité de la, du, de la, du personnage humain vivant sa propre mort, moi-même, dans, dans le personnage de Louis XIV, ce qui ne donne qu'une suite d'intensité de ce que j'avais à dire et que, qui ne se dit pas et qui ne se voit pas sur l'écran. Il ne reste que l'intensité de la présence. Si vous bien compris, ce qui est assez au montage. In terms of on n'entend plus que des râles et des essoufflements et on voit un face-à-face perpétuel avec la mort. Voilà. In terms of what uh, Mr. Seurat is saying, um, the text was entirely pulled from Saint-Simon's memoirs and what uh, Louis XIV had actually said. Um, however, at, in editing, all of that was eradicated and what you're left with is what precedes the words or succeeds them, and it's the intensity. You're left with the incredible intensity of the moments and the process of uh, the death of Louis XIV. In fact, uh, was Jean Duchet, a French critic, who said about my previous films that they are based in the dramaturgy, not in the dramaturgy of action, but in the dramaturgy of presence. And I think that this film exemplifies even better this thing that all the dramaturgy of the film it's like created naturally because of a presence in the center this is uh, the presence of Jean-Pierre in the center that and obviously there is also a you know a natural dramaturgy when somebody it's uh, reaching the death no it's approaching the death it creates naturally you know a drama you know it's, it's, so here you know to put him in the center and to wait a little bit, this was my point, that this dramaturgy was created as naturally as possible. Because of the consequence, of the slightest consequence of the most, uh, you know, uh, small gesture or a small word or, you know, the resonance. 
in all the room. And for this reason, I avoid the political thing, because I could have shot it. In fact, I shoot one scene or two outside the room, you know, about the, with the political things around the death of the king and, you know. But then, in there, I said, what's the point of the interest of this, you know? But that's present in the film as it is, anyway. Sorry? That's present, the politics around the death of the yes, king. Yes, a little bit, a little film. bit. For example, when he talks about the, well, he says, in fact, the very important things when he talks with the, with the baby. He said that, well, it shouldn't, because the, the state is almost in bankruptcy. So at that moment, it came in bankruptcy afterwards. So uh, it says some, some strange political advice becoming from the most powerful man in the world. So I don't know. This was the, 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 the crucial point of the film, that the absolute power, you know, again, facing the total importance you know, <laughs> of illness and of useless doctors. What put some kind of irony that I really love on the film, all the doctor problem, you know, to imagine that even the richest people or the most powerful people in the world have bad doctors is also a wonderful idea for the rest of us. There was a moment in the film where I felt that I and the audience was cast as death coming to the king. Um, that was when you were looking right at us and I was very happy that the film did not stop there but and that he didn't die at that moment but died a bit later is that something that you were thinking of at that moment I don't know we shoot this moment this moment in concrete we shoot it two or three times and it was because Jean-Pierre wanted it also spontaneously always he wanted to listen to some music and he wanted Monteverdi, but we didn't have Monteverdi, and I said, we put Mozart. Mozart, it's not chronological. From the chronological point of view, obviously, was born after the death of Louis XIV. But I don't know. Then we shoot it, as always, and then in the, in the edit, I saw that usually when somebody looks at the camera, you know, puts you out of the film, no? Because you suddenly you realize that this is a film, no? And so, but here, I don't know why it worked, because it looked like it's what you said a little bit, that you know you are facing death and you don't know if it's your death or you know the death of the king. It's like a dialogue, no? And, and paradoxically, in, with this scene, when they look at you, you get, in, you get in more in the film. You get more in the film, that, out, that going out, what is usual in, in this kind of thing. So for me, it was also a mystery. And okay, then some people in Cannes, that I forgot, obviously. En ce qui me concerne dans le jeu et à la sortie du film, je suis sorti très différent après le tournage, justement, dans ma conception de la vie et de la mort, parce que je suis très indécis dans le personnage, et que très précisément, pour répondre à cette jeune femme, j'ai pensé en moi-même que la mort, c'était quelque chose qui était très difficile à jouer, mais c'était quelque chose dont il ne fallait pas avoir peur et que l'on devait la voir venir vers soi. In terms of what you felt, um, I can understand that and I felt something similar because when I came out after the shooting of the film, I also had this feeling that you, know, you were staring straight at death and that you didn't know if you were experiencing it or seeing it, and that you had to not be afraid of it and let it come towards you. That's what you felt, that's what I felt when I was acting. 
Albert, you were going to add something about a, a reaction in Khan to... Well, not also. I mean, what is beautiful is what you said in the you said in the catalog of the festival. You know, oh, that was also my point uh, about the subject of that because sometimes it's very grave. No, it's a very important moment, and usually it's done in a very dramatic way. You know, death as the, uh, the last affirmation of life, or the last gesture of life, or the last resume of life, or whatever. But here, I like the idea also that it was closer what uh, of what I have experienced in my own life. That, you know, the banality of death in itself. It's very beautiful what you wrote in the catalog, that you said that. The, the, banal the banality of the court, the banality of all these, you know, representations around the king, but also the banality of the death in itself. And because it's, I don't know, I like the, the idea of the end of the film that, you know, gradually, slowly, he doesn't move, he moves a little bit less, not the, the legs, then uh, not the arms, or, uh, and then he's dead, but you don't know exactly when he dies, you know? What is very close to what I experienced with my grandparents and with really uh, with some relatives. But, well, they are there and suddenly they are not there and that's all, you know? And everything keeps on in the same, I know, everybody else is in the same place doing the same thing and, you know. and this, this mix, no, of really, you know, transcendent approach of death but also the, the banal part of death, in the, I think that in, I wanted to balance a little bit that in the film. Um, other than Saint-Simon memoirs, did you use any other source material for these final days of uh, Louis XIV? And uh, how much of your shooting was done in Portugal? What's the last question? How much of the shoot was in Portugal? Uh, we use some other sources that are not as interesting from the literary point of view, which is Journal de Danjo, that are courtesans of that time. Also, the doctors, the doctors' uh, reports. Yeah. Uh, but visual sources, you, you used visual, visual sources. No, no, oh, no. only no. written sources. Yes, uh, this was but complementary. I mean, the essentially, what explains Saint Simon, it's what all the other people explain more or less in the same way. Then we had we had some poetic license, some scenes that are not in the in the historical truth but they are funny and closer. For example, when the doctor, when the main doctor decides, ask Jean-Pierre that is already almost dying to uh, prosecute the other doctor and says that the other doctor is the, is the responsible of the, you know, of all the problems of the king, blah, blah, blah. This was not historic, this is not historically true, or we don't know. And uh, we didn't put, and some other things, for example, at the beginning, the eccentric things with the eyes that you don't know exactly what they are doing with the fake eyes. Some, so, but in general, we follow quite closely uh, what is historically uh, true. And then in Portugal, we shoot uh, yeah, four days there, five days, because it was a Portuguese co-production, and we, we shoot there in a palace, and there is some scenes where we see a little bit the, the king walking in the middle of a palace, then he is reading a book, and some scenes, some scenes of the garden, and then we, are, we cut it at the beginning, because we just put one shot. But, uh, I don't know, it was complementary shooting in Portugal. Because in, in France it was very difficult because we, we only had the room and a little bit the garden. So then we used some gardens in there and, and this, the big, the, the wider shot of the palace. Uh, you mentioned in the film Arnaud da Villanova. And I think that you have mentioned or have referenced him before in your work. I don't know if I'm wrong. 
But why did you choose to, to introduce it? Uh, well, the, the reference is not historically true, but the, 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 the character, the main character, it is that they, they pick up uh, by chance a uh, charlatan, no, charlatan is English, uh, charlatan, that when he was really ill, it's true, that came from Marseille and when everybody was desperate and they tried some absurd rem 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 remedies. And uh, okay, this is historical truth. And we put some reference, just to put it more, a little bit eccentric, because there was this fight that I love, and it was, as you said, I don't remember exactly if the guy, but the subject, it was in my previous film. This fight between, you know, these two different approach on medicine and on life in general. You know, the most esoteric one, the most that believes in, you know, that there is some energy, some, you know, that maybe can have important influence, and another more, you know, scientifical, more scientifical and classical approach. So this fight, you know, I like this idea with the doctors at that time because, you know, the scientific approach was nothing. Uh, nowadays, okay, the scientific approach won, no? We can put it this way. But uh, at that time, uh, it was not so clear, you know, because everything was like esoteric. And in fact, for example, I like the, um, I read on the internet one website afterwards the shooting that said that uh, it was a website that said most dangerous doctors in history. And this Fagon was number two. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, uh, I mean, now the scientific knowledge at that time was nothing. Uh, you're completely, you know. And well, this was a beautiful, an, an ironic, but historically true. An ironic approach, but historically true. Thank you very much, Albert. And thank you, Jean-Pierre. The Close-Up from the Film Society Blinken Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society Blinken Center is a non-profit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>